Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Before we get to our very special guest, because he's very pressed for time and he's squeezing <laughs> us in his very busy schedule. Before we get to him, you know, we started our new opening, which is this week in the 1980s. Yes. So this week, the 1980s, the movie Officer and a Gentleman premiered. Oh, I don't even know if I've ever seen that. What? I don't know. I don't think I've seen it. Stop. Well, you have to go see see it. it. All right. All right. Madonna released her self-titled album, debut album. It's a great album. It's a, such a good one. And great. then, unfortunately, you know, most of the news, most of the music, movies, et cetera, in the 80s were great. Some not so great. 35 years ago, Rick Astley debuted Never Gonna Give You Up, July oh my gosh, 27th. Rickrolled. That guy, that song is eternal because of getting Rickrolled is everywhere now. So who knew at the time the, the cultural exactly exactly the cultural heaviness of 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 that song, which is was annoying back then, to be honest. Even more now. Very annoying. So speaking of Rick Roll and rolling and someone who just never gives up on Fox <laughs> News or wherever he is. Our good friend Ned Ryan is here to join us to talk about all the week's news especially his um, very controversial appearance on Kennedy show this week. So Ned, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, no, absolutely. Good to be here. And uh, kids don't, don't do gay orgies. Don't do them. I, I, I think so, that's, see, I have, so really quick, I have like these obvious rules of life. Like don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute, right? Don't trust young kids with matches. Sorry, Liz. Don't trust libertarians with real politics. Don't go to gay orgies, right? None of those things end well. And so I was just like, you know what? I should probably just state the obvious based off research, based off the science, based off CDC, based off who, which if you read all of their advice, it's literally compressed into don't do gay orgies. So when I was asked that question on Kennedy Tuesday night, how do you feel about Fauci and monkeypox? First of all, I'm completely flummoxed by who takes Fauci seriously. I mean, he's literally the fascist little known, but he's been wrong on almost everything, pretty much his whole career. So I kind of made a little crack about him. And then I just said, you know, rule for life is don't go to gay orgies if you don't want monkeypox. And, and you would have thought I shot their dogs on live television. Uh, but then I backed it up. And, and I, you know, after they were shocked and called me a bigot, including Kennedy, by the way, I just thought, uh, you know, you probably should, after you get over your fake outrage, you know, it's the New England Medical Journal that I'm quoting, as reported by NBC News, that of the 528 cases that the New England Medical Journal article had reviewed, 95% of them came from gay sex. Well, we have the uh, clip. So we're going to play. Can we play that? Great. Yes, we are going to play the clip. Here we go. As for monkeypox, I, I think there's a pretty good rule in life. Uh, don't attend gay orgies. Uh, when you look at the New England Journal's report of the five hundred and twenty orgies on, they reviewed. Ned, come on, man. It's not what? about gay. How about no, not absolutely. any orgies? Go look, at, go look at the New England Journal's report that NBC News reported on, on Friday, in which of the 528 cases they reviewed, 
95% were between sex between men. I think we actually have to have a serious conversation about where this is coming from. When I'm done, Brad, you can talk. Instead of going crazy and declaring a national pandemic when 3,000 people have it right now, it's insane. I don't know, man. You don't have to be gay to get monkeypox, and uh, you don't have to be bigoted when you talk about treating something that is that easily spread. Marie. It's not bigoted. Yeah, it is. This, this is science, Kennedy. 95% yeah. of the cases from the New right, England I'm, Journal. You know what? I'm going to let Brad respond. Reported. Okay, I'm going to let Brad respond because, Brad, we have 372 doses. The United States, in Denmark, where the, the smallpox, monkeypox vaccine is manufactured, they were ready to go, but uh, because this has been an issue for more men in the gay community, it seems like it has been lower on the priority list. Brad. Yeah, look, Ned is right. He says that monkeypox right now is mostly affecting gay men. The problem is that public health-wise, not going to orgies in general is a good policy to not get sexually transmitted diseases. 100%. And so we have to be really careful. We saw with the AIDS crisis, with the HIV crisis, about how certain communities or certain gay people will be stigmatized yeah. over something that lots of people do. And we got to be careful about that. And that kind of, I will use the term, bigoted language, that makes it seem like the only people that get this are from one group of Americans. Hey, guess what? Gay men also have friends and family members and colleagues, and this is not just transmitted through sexual activity. It's transmitted through close contact. So you don't fight diseases. I'm glad Brad brought up HIV AIDS. You don't fight diseases by caricaturing the people who get them or who get them. Oh, God. She, Marie Harf is so stupid. She really is. I have to say that. I mean, no, I, I don't know. How she got on Fox, maybe because she's stupid. She is an idiot. And if you don't know who she is and you're listening, she used to be the spokesman for the State Department under Obama. Or she was like yeah. a press person. She is really, if, you, if you're bored one day, go back on YouTube and check out her press briefings. Just this, she's we're talking breaks. room temperature IQ here. Really yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there's it's Ned. Just, so that was Ned's controversial. I guess. I didn't think it was so controversial. I don't know. I didn't either. I, I have to tell you, being completely honest, I was a little surprised at the response in which I'm stating facts. And again, like I said, this that on TV, you've got to compress a lot of different points into very quippy, like short abbreviated lines. And the WHO's guidelines and the CDC's guidelines are don't go to gay orgies. No, I think the thing that was really interesting to me after they, uh, after they, they did, you know, you're, you're bigoted and all that stuff. They agreed with all of my points. Right. That's what was so confusing about it is that Kennedy thought she was going to have Brad come in and like zing you or something. It's that's Brad Palumbo, by the way. I think he's, I don't know. I know he's, I, I, I know him from Twitter, but I, I can't remember he where is he good. is. Maybe. Yeah. Right. But I think she thought he was going to like zing you. And he goes, Ned's right. And it's and the whole thing was them kind of just saying you're a bigot, but not saying what you said was bigoted, which is to point out that certain behavior leads to getting this disease. And why wouldn't people want to know that so they can I change thought, their behavior? Well, that that was the other thing that really struck me, Liz, afterwards. If Kennedy and Brad and Marie Harf really cared about the gay community. Uh, they they would actually be agreeing with me that your behavior is extremely destructive. Maybe, you know what, I, I tweeted this too. 
how about 15 days of no gay orgies to slow the spread? Yeah. If you really cared about your friends, maybe you shouldn't do that. But it, it was it was amazing to me how, no, we don't want to stigmatize. Well, how about you actually say you should change your behavioral patterns as, again, this is overwhelmingly in the gay community, men having sex with men, maybe you should knock it off. And it's, And the other thing that the WHO made very clear, like you should probably not be having multiple partners in a very short period of time, again, orgies, to, for, for a period of time to stop the spread. If you really cared about it, you'd be forceful with them and say, you need to knock this off. But all they want to do is say, you can't say that because that's bigoted. Well, I, I think what you're saying is actually pretty harmful if you really care about the, the gay community. Your dismissal is pretty harmful. So it is what well, it is. And remember, stigma was used against many groups of people. Let's We only have to go back to the pandemic where people oh, who yeah. didn't get vaccinated were stigmatized. People who didn't want to wear a mask were stigmatized. People who didn't want to have their kids wear masks were stigmatized. I mean, you could go on and on about groups of people that were absolutely stigmatized and proudly so. So it's just weird that some groups we just can't. Yeah, but I don't I mean, even think it's stigmatizing. I don't either. understand how it is stigmatizing to say this behavior is puts you at great risk for this disease. That I just don't, I don't, I don't think that that's stigmatizing. I mean, I guess on a broader scale too, in a, in a, in a broader way, this is deeply concerning with society as a whole that we cannot call out destructive behavior. Yeah, the other, we can't call it destructive behavior because it might offend people. I mean, that 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 is not the sign of a mature society. It, it is a sign of a deeply immature deeply emotional but not based on rational thought society which which is not only a problem in this situation but a problem in other situations too and which decisions are not being made off really being made off facts and statistics and what's best for the community writ large but we don't want to offend people that's a real problem well also that's not science too when you don't say things because you're afraid of the public perception, then you're not what you're doing is not engaging in science anymore. So, well, can I point out that, that really quickly, the thing that has been mind blowing to me over the last couple of years is that the people screaming science, who, who I believe it's a faith system, scientism, who scream science, science, science are, in fact, not doing anything remotely related to what science is actually showing, whether it's with COVID, whether it was with masks whether it was any of the, the two years of lockdowns, nothing nothing at all really had anything to do with the facts, science, or data on any of those fronts. And here we are again, when the data, facts, and science point towards certain behavior leading to certain ends, maybe we shouldn't do that. But no, no, we're not going to do that. Because I guess, I guess in this situation, science is bigoted. So we can't have bigots. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Mm. Well, well, I mean, I think, too, the whole COVID you know, just every single week, there's another piece that completely falls apart related to what we did to ourselves, to the country, especially yeah. to our children for more than two years. And you have Deborah Burks basically coming out and saying, oh my gosh. right. We, I, I mean, I can't even bring myself to read her book. I, we, You could barely, you know, because it's just so infuriating. So I'm reading like reviews of it, which are still infuriating. Um, so she how is basically that not criminal. I, I, how is it not? Not in no. What do we do? Like, what's our recourse? No, this is the thing. And again, I, you know, for those listening, she comes out on Fox News and tells Neil Cavuto, I knew 
the vaccines didn't work at the very beginning, but still push them. Which again, I don't think that it's not a vaccine. It's again like they changed the definition of recession. That's not a vaccine. It's maybe going to change the definition of monkeypox too. They're just going to change. Right. It's going to be called right. long COVID. According you're, to you're Tucker. telling me on national television in your book as well that these vaccines that were then mandated that people lost their jobs over that quite frankly were highly experimental and we don't know the full physical fallout on, on people that took it and you went ahead and pushed these shots i don't even want to call them vaccines but she pushed these shots knowing full well they didn't work at, at what point do we say this is criminal behavior you can't do that without consequences i, I don't it's it's absolutely insane to me that we are, we're in this situation where there's literally no consequences she has a book deal she's got no national television hits there's no consequences for what i consider and, and oh by the way changing statistics all of this stuff manipulating manipulating the data and there's no consequences at all in fact she's rewarded for it it's absolutely insane insane well, the left the left has captured science just the way it's captured the media the regulatory capture all of this thing i mean the people are who control the industry are the ones who, you know, are supposed to self-police. I mean, there's supposed to be a self-policing feature in science, right? There's yeah. peer review and there really is, it, it, science is not political, but it's become political because, you know, it's been taken over by activists, just like the education system and government. Just like, so, just like the law. Yeah. Also, Ned, watch your mic. I got to tell you, keep, because oh. you're kind of coming in and out. So stay close to your mic. But um, back to this. There is no consequences. I don't know. You know, we, we talk about what's going to happen when allegedly the Republicans are supposed to take over in the fall. You know, there's supposed to be a red wave. You know, will we will we see any actual oversight? You know, not just Fauci. I mean, everyone's after Fauci, but Burks, too, um, was, you know, you know, involved. What do you think, Ned? I mean, do you think that there's going to be any actual oversight in the fall or once the Congress switches? Assuming it switches. Well, I, I I think it's it's very hard for me to believe that the the Republicans will not take the House back in a very definitive way. I mean, historical trends since World War II, first midterm, uh, the party in power in the White House loses 28 seats in the House, four in the Senate, and tack on to, to that all the inflation and and the recession, all these things. I, I have a hard time believing we won't take the House, probably the Senate back. That all to say. Do I trust Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell to actually be profiles in political courage and do the right thing? Uh, no, not even close. Uh, do I think Kevin McCarthy might be able to do something and find it within himself to do something effective with oversight? I think maybe on some level, yes. Uh, with Mitch McConnell, forget about it. Julie? Why don't you weigh in on this? I know that you like this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, I will say I watched the House Judiciary Committee hearing yesterday, lasted about five hours. It felt like five years. And uh, the witness was Matthew Olson, who is uh, just your most prolific. I mean, if you could draw up a DOJ bureaucrat hack, this is the guy, right? So he evaded questions for you know, several hours. Um, and if what I saw yesterday is a reflection of what Republicans are going to do if they do take the House, including some of our feistier members, or at least those who are publicly feisty, like Representative Jim Jordan, then we're going to have a little bit of a problem. 
problem. They spent way too much time beating the dead horse that is the school board parent uh, surveillance, which I we've already, I think, extracted about as much out of that as we possibly could. Uh, very little, almost nothing to the DOJ's abusive, vengeful prosecution of January 6th trespassers for which Matthew Olson's department is intimately involved. Um, There were there was some pushback. Um, Dan Bishop uh, went through the Whitmer fednapping hoax for the first time, a public official confronting DOJ about that. Of course, Matthew Olson had no answers. Um, uh, Matt Gates actually did a very good job. Uh, and others confronted him on the Hunter laptop, which, of course, he knows nothing about. And if he does know about it, it's um, a potential. He called it a potential ongoing investigation, which means there is no investigation. No investigation. There's no investigation. But they can't keep beating the same dead horses. The school board issue is over. There are far more egregious, potentially criminal things that this DOJ is doing. Um, and the GOP needs to get their act together. And that's not uh, that isn't really what I saw for the most but part in this House Judiciary Committee yesterday. But it's even more fundamental than that. I, I think and I've said this before, but our problem is is much more deeply rooted yep. And that the left. The left is it's a bunch of religious zealots. Their, their politics is religion. The administrative state is their holy of holies. They they their precious is political power. They will do any and all whatever it takes to get political power, to use it, to empower the state, to use the state to punish political enemies, including the DOJ and the FBI. We, on the other hand, are a bunch of careerists. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to D.C. I'm going to be in the House for maybe five or six terms or in the Senate for a couple. Maybe I'll go to a think tank. I'll have a really cool career and then I'll retire and move on. It's like. How about you have a little more zealotry in you and actually understand what's at stake in the other side? It's not your granddaddy's Democratic Party. The administrative state is absolutely unconstitutional. Reject the entire premise of it. And instead, we're like, well, we're just going to have a few strongly worded letters and tweets. Like, are you serious? Like, figure out what you want to do in life. And if you can't figure out what it takes to actually fight and beat them, get out. Well, and we we had documents released this week. It does look like there are numerous FBI whistleblowers who are going forward, Fine. not not just to House uh, Judiciary, but also now to Chuck Grassley's office. So they have whistleblowers who are discussing how the Hunter, the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop were buried before the 2020 election, um, the investigation to the extent that there was one. <laughs> was quashed uh, and, of course, working with these, quote unquote, intelligence officials to describe it as Russian disinformation. So that's one part of it. Um, There were also uh, whistleblowers coming forward talking about DOJ juicing the numbers, the data on domestic violent extremists, which we know is a complete fabrication of this regime, started with a report issued in March of 2021 by um, Avril Haines, who was an Obama uh, confidant. Uh, She's running the intelligence community, Lisa Monaco, another Obama, longtime Obama loyalist running DOJ. So they're creating this false narrative that 
right-wing white supremacist domestic terrorists are the biggest threat to the homeland. So there's somebody juicing the numbers because there are no numbers. There's no data that proves this whatsoever. But here's the thing, Matt and Liz, and we've talked about this. you got to hand it to them. you got to hand it to them. Oh, you do. I'm jealous. I get jealous every time I see it. They know what to do with political power. They know what to do when they're in these positions, and they use it. And we're all just like, oh, that'd be dirty. Really? Come on. Sorry. No, I, I, I envy the Democrats in this regime and their apparatchiks for and the media for what they they do. I mean, they do not miss a step. Um, it's very dangerous and destructive for the country, but they don't care because that's part of how they they get and maintain power. Um, there's also so, no consequences. Right. None of that's the, right. None of these people can do whatever they want because there is no consequences because they've captured the mechanisms of checks and balances. So anyone who leaking all sorts of things that normally, hey, what's going on with the leak at the Supreme Court, by the way? Hey, any news on that? I mean, these things, there's never any consequences for people who do things like this or for overstepping and abusing their power. So of course, they're going to do everything they possibly can while they're in power right now. Well, you've got... You've got this Brian Otten, who was the lead FBI analyst for Crossfire Hurricane, knew that the dossier was garbage. I think he interviewed uh, Danchenko. And now he's, you know, tied to tied to the Hunter Biden, um, quashing the Hunter Biden uh, investigation into the laptop when there was no repercussions for Crossfire Hurricane. No one held criminally, even really publicly accountable. Um, This is what you get. It's accelerated. If Donald Trump or whoever the nominee is in 2024 doesn't overtly state that when I come back into power, I will reimagine the FBI and the DOJ, we've got problems. I mean, if the FBI and the DOJ continue in their current form as weaponizing, again, we have the bifurcated system. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, the bifurcated legal system. There is no equal application of the law. But even more so, the supposed guardians of the rule of law, the DOJ and the FBI, have actually weaponized the law against political opponents. They need to be torn apart. Both entities need to be torn apart in their current form, reimagined. Um, And so my my hope is that that Trump will be very overt in how he's saying he's already talking about reclassifying. Was it Schedule F or whatever the, the designation was? He needs to be very adamant about this, that he will go and send in maybe Cash Patel to the FBI He'll have a real I've, I've had this conversation with about a, a real attorney general cannot be from the D.C. area, cannot be from the Republican yeah. lawyer ecosystem. He needs to find somebody outside of D.C., preferably from the Midwest or somewhere very, very far away from D.C., who will come in with an outsider's perspective and completely reimagine the DOJ. But the question is, will he? I mean, yeah. I know. And can, Axios- he can he do it? without the cooperation of the House and the Senate. Well, and we saw what happened. Remember when Trump came in in 2016, McConnell and Paul Ryan, they they were just as bad as the Democrats. They stopped everything right. Trump wanted to do. I think there's a lot more appetite from Trump, actually a plan with the right people. I mean, he knows this, but one of the first things that was screwed up that's wildly important that most people don't pay attention to is PPO, the Office of Presidential Personnel. It was staffed by a puke swamp creature, Johnny DeStefano, from day one for three years. And you didn't see PPO he start to turn the corner. Everybody. Right, you didn't he see blocked PPO. blocked all the MAGA people. 
Yeah, you didn't see it turn the corner until Johnny McEntee took over in February of 2020. At that point, not enough time to turn the corner. But I can assure you, knowing what I know, that day one, PPO will be done right in another Trump administration with people who are adamantly uh, committed to going after and declaring war on the administrative state. And, and it will include how do we downsize this monstrosity that has nothing to do with the Constitutional Republic, is deeply unconstitutional, will reject the premise of it all, uh, and begin to devolve and break apart the administrative state. This is, this is the, the one thing that, that Trump didn't go to the next level. He keeps talking about draining the swamp. The foundation of the swamp is the administrative state. If you want to drain the swamp, you have to break the state. And if you can break the state, he'll drain the swamp. Well, let's hope because, um, and I think that this is a big, and this kind of dovetails to the next, one of the other big stories this week, and that is why uh, this regime is so desperate to take Trump out and make sure that he, in yeah. no way, he's so damaged and, and wounded, I mean, fatal, po- politically fatally so, that he can't run, which is why you have what looks like now a full-on criminal probe into Donald Trump. This is what DOJ Matthew Graves, the D.C. U.S. attorney, is doing. This was um, a report. I mean, we've talked about it. I've predicted that this DOJ is going to charge Trump. The Washington Post basically confirmed it this week, um, subpoenaing people even like Mark Short, um, uh, who has uh, gone before a grand jury. That's Mike Pence's former chief of staff, obviously another snake. Who, by the way, is, is a former. He ran the coke. Uh, network like don't well, everybody forget. knew he was a snake by the way yeah, like this is that's not this new is a, no this is the one thing that's just again personnel was not done right in the trump yep. white house that's realizations right. have been made but there were a lot of snakes left in, uh, let in that have proven that they were snakes the frustrating thing though ned is towards the end when trump you know and he would always say that repeat that poem about a snake but up until the very end he kept these people in power especially at doj you know i'm watching jeffrey rosen who was the acting attorney general who is a bushy bill barr after he left and betrayed all of us on a number of uh, issues not the least of which was fraud in the 2020 election but of course waiting to the last minute to appoint john durham special counsel which he finally did in october of 2020 instead of april of 2019 uh, when he became attorney general um, allowing then this jeffrey rosen to step in as acting attorney general basically finish what Barr had started which was do right. nothing prevent investigations into 2020 you know he 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 kept all these people in power he kept Chris Ray in power he should have done mass firings in 2020 before I, the election he knew yeah. that all of these people were setting him up and betraying him um and even when he floated at the very end replacing Jeff Jeffrey Rosen with Jeffrey Clark, whose life's now being destroyed by DOJ, Jeffrey Rosen went to um, Trump and basically said, I'm going to resign and I'm going to get all these assistant U.S. attorneys and U.S. attorneys all over to buy. That was like a gift. Why didn't Trump take him up on it? I mean, you're you're, you're hanging on by a thread as it is. What do you have to lose? And he constantly let these bureaucrats and these subversives push him around now it's one thing he paid politically but we're still paying the price for it 
right? Whether it's Fauci, Burke, Ray, Jeffrey Rosen, all of these people. That's very frustrating. So will he, has he really learned his lesson? Not, I don't know. You're close to people around him. I know you're close. You you talk with him. Do you really think he's learned lessons? Because I remain sort of skeptical. Which is not unfounded. I I would say you're never going to see a Trump 2.0. You'll see a Trump 1.5. Uh, I think he has understood some of these problems. Uh, I would argue one of the biggest problems was he didn't fully understand what he could do as president of the United States and head of the executive branch of government. And I think that was one of the things where he better fully understand and fully realize his powers as the head of the executive branch. Uh, well, he had no or, one around him to help well, him. That see, also, like... So, Let me explain some of these dynamics. And he's told me this multiple. He was so much of an outsider. uh, I would argue he didn't fully understand, first of all, how bad the government works. Right, how government works. And he had, you know, Reince Priebus and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell all sidling up to him going, hey, we got this all figured out for you. And I would argue we've never had this specific conversation that he viewed himself as the head of a corporation. And these were senior VPs. And of course, they're going to implement and I think he learned very much the hard way. That's not how it works in D.C. So, I, you know, there was a lot of, first of all, coming from the outside. And, and don't forget, too, some of these people were warned very, very strongly. You should never work on the Trump campaign. You should not work in the Trump White House or you'll never work in this town again. So there were some people that were that, that he just had a very short talent bench. This is one of the things that is definitely being worked on. How do you find the right talent and prepare them over the next few years for a potential Republican administration? That was one of the things where short on talent, any talent that was maybe MAGA, Johnny DiStefano blocks. I mean, all this starts to snowball into just a whole bunch of different problems. And then you had somebody that just I don't think fully understood his power and ability as president. So hopefully these problems will be solved. And the first six months of the next Republican administration should hit the ground running and, and have an epic first six months. But but again, we'll see. Well, I, I think that um, part of the show trials is to also discourage people from going 100%. into future, not just a future Trump administration, but any future Republican administration, like Weaponizing letting people law. know this is the price of yeah. of go of going in. So. I mean, they did. You're right. I I remember that that this happened. That the word was put out. You know, don't don't go first. Don't work on the Trump campaign, right? I'm because I'm in the campaign world too sometimes. And then also don't go in the administration. And then even if you wanted to go, there were people that lived all over America that had worked on his Trump's campaign at a grassroots level. People that aren't politicals, right? They for right. all over Colorado, whatever. They wanted to come in. They couldn't get in because DiStefano blocked all yeah. kinds of people from getting oh. in. So he had no he had no one in the actual machinery of government. Right. We kept hearing stories about people at these agencies, slow walking, blocking and stuff, these bureaucrats well, that are immovable. Can and I, can it, I it was also always, add another problem? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, we love talking about this, please. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Genius idea. And I say that with sarcasm. Yeah. Well, we can we, we can cut some of the budget if we don't fill all the plumb book positions. Yeah. Are you insane? 
That's the yeah. only way you have any shot of implementing an administration's policies is making sure every last and call it maybe 5,000 political appointees in the various departments and agencies, of which 1,300 are about sked seats, which are the lowest of the low political appointees. So you're, you're really dealing with maybe 3,700 at the most potential decision maker policy implementers to be spread across this sprawling, massive administrative state. You have to make sure every last one of them is a rock star who's willing to go in every day and have knife fights with the careerists to make sure the policy yep. is advanced. And Bannon's idea was like, well, we shouldn't fill it all because it'll save money. Oh, my gosh. Well, he's another person that doesn't, you know, Steve doesn't come from inside the government. And so no. unless you know how to operate inside this massive bureaucracy and you know how things get done at the yep. executive level, you would think, oh, that's a smart idea. We'll just save some money. In the, the the thing that made it even more egregious, let's call it outside of the military, last I checked, I think it's like 1.97 federal government employees versus potentially 3,700 decision makers. You're already massively overwhelmed. Um, and you got to put people in there that are willing to know, hey, I've got to fight every day, but also how to leverage all of this to actually advance policies. But at the same time, the next Republican administration has to set goals and say there's 800,000 non-essential federal employees. We're going to make sure that over the next four years, we are going to dramatically downsize uh, that number and remove those roles uh, from the federal roles, right? Like we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to take a strong run at this. If we truly believe that we have to break the state to drain the swamp, we have to set goals and people have to know how to do it inside of every department and every agency. Well, I think to, um, if they're going to stop this lawfare, uh, will Republicans, there are a few things. Number one, at the top of the list, they have to shut down this D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. There is no reason yep. why you should have a Democratic operative like Matthew Graves, who was not only a Biden campaign advisor, his wife is a far left radical activist who heads up a woman's legal um non-for-profit in Washington, D.C. She's all over the news media. She has a history of saying really contemptible things about Donald Trump and his voters, accused white women who voted for Trump in 2020 of being racist, basically. This is the guy who's now rounding up, prosecuting 860 plus Americans and building potentially a seditious conspiracy case against Donald Trump. They need to shut down that D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. It should have no federal funds. It should have no federal power. But you, you, you go back to what Liz, Liz's point was originally. Do you have Republican leadership in the House and the Senate that will be in agreement on this and realize they will be called every name in the book. The press will come. It's not the press. The corporate propagandists will come after them. Like it, it, it will make their lives more difficult. I don't know. Well, I can tell you right now, Mitch McConnell's not going to. He's not committed to any. They're not going to do it. And Kevin McCarthy is a very, very big question mark, 50-50 at best. So it's one of those things. I, I've, I've told Trump at some point, if, if you are going to figure out how to pass your priorities and actually implement them, there's got to be a conversation about new leadership in the House and the Senate because they're not on the same page with you and you're going to have kind of a rerun of the last time. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so I don't know. The good news, though, aside from that, is that we're not in a recession. We are not. <laughs> no, no way. Nope, 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 nope. No, because Wikipedia says how. That. Nope. It's so Soviet. 
that was so crazy to see like it's always amusing in real time to just see the efforts and the contortion to like not say that it's a recession. <laughs> it was just they're editing. Apparently that there were like 50 different edits to Wikipedia made in like 24 hours. And then they to, locked it. And then they locked it. I get I mean, it, it's Soviet to redefine well, word what words mean. Well, I mean, we've re- redefined women. We've redefined right. vaccine. Now we're going to redefine recession. It's all Orwellian. I mean, the fact the fact that they're naming this bill the Inflation Reduction Act or <laughs> whatever. Are you insane? I, this is I, I struggle with this because Joe Biden was not the brightest guy even before he lost five steps. Right? He was not the brightest bulb on the planet. Definitely has lost five, six, ten steps. Are you complete idiots? Perfectly acceptable argument. But a lot of this is deeply intentional, right? Whether it's the energy policy, a lot of these other things, this has all been extremely intentional. But now you're to the point of how do you not understand that another, what is it going to be, $700 billion is not reducing inflation at all? It will be jet fuel on inflation. Do you want to lose? Do you want to destroy this country? I mean, again, if you hated this country, would you do anything differently than what they're doing right now? It's all very systematic, whether it's the southern border, whether it's energy policy, whether it's spending policy, tanking, you know, inflation. And I have to tell you, I, I'm I'm struggling with and I kind of talked with Tim Poole about this the other night on his podcast. And I thought he had a pretty good idea, like all of this being intentional to sink America as the elites are making their placing their bets on China. If you if you tank America, there can be no conflict between China and America as China becomes ascendant. I can't I have to do I can't dismiss that idea. It's perfectly acceptable because all of this is absolutely insane. What is going on? There has to be and it's intentional at the same time. There has to be something going on that they are doing to achieve some end. Besides tanking this country, what what is the ultimate goal? And I, I think we need to start thinking about what are they trying to achieve? It's not good for this country. I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, how can you look at it really any other way? Right. That that they are intentionally destroying the fundamentals of the country, whether it is the border, whether it's our justice system, um, whether it's our energy uh, infrastructure. I mean, everything that makes us great and makes us America and makes us superpower and economic, um, you know, economically independent and viable, they are systematically dismantling and so for what? I mean, you go back to people, whatever, if you want to use the term reset, if you want to go back to the environmental agenda of the past 50 years, this is all what they've wanted. Um, yep. And you have people living in fear. You know, crime is rampant, in, not just in the cities, but I could speak to it being in suburban Chicago, spilling out into the suburbs everywhere. So this is not by accident. It has right. to be by design. Um, and it, it's sort of terrifying to to come to terms with that. Um, and really, what do we have to do aside from the feckless, craven leadership in Washington, Republicans? Yeah. What are, what are our options? The other the other theory I've had is this: they've always progressive status. They're not progressive. Their status have always hated the Constitution as originally intended by the founders. Um, my, that's what my new book is about: American Leviathan. I'm working on it. 
but really detailing out this is they didn't just end up we didn't just end up here this is obviously what they wanted Woodrow Wilson Herbert Crowley Theodore Roosevelt Robert LaFollette these are all the people this is what they wanted they stated it very clearly 100 years ago how much they hated the founders how much they hated this form of government and so you see these progressive status today so this is my other theory about why they're bringing this about you have to delegitimize the founders they're all a bunch of white racist bigots you delegitimize them, you delegitimize the founding documents, you delegitimize the government that's founded upon those documents, you get to start from scratch and build a brave new order in this country. So is it to build the brave new order in this country? Is it to tank it so China becomes ascendant? I think the answer is somewhere in that mix. I haven't come to a, a real like firm decision one way or the other, but it's a, I think it's a blend of both. You know, I think a lot of it is that the people that are sort of running things now that are in control, most of them do not have a fate attached to America as America. So correct, they don't feel anything when they are crushing the middle class like this inflation is hurting lower middle class, middle class people. They These folks, they don't feel it. So I don't think that they are connected to the success of the system of America, the way that the middle class is dependent on things like, you know, the justice is applied equally and that things are fair and that you have a right, you know, to be to be safe and that your police is supposed to keep your neighborhood safe. And all of these things that we've seen slowly disintegrating, again, these globalists, they're not attached. Their their fate is attached to these global corporations that that they've allowed to come out of America and benefit from the, the America. And they're now, you know, attached to a much more global, the, the, the fate of the global industry instead of really just America. And I don't want to lose this point, but this is the problem with corporatism inside of the Republican Party. It's the same thing headed in the same direction in which if you do all of your tax policy and a lot of other things that actually promote corporatism, the corporations, who have no distinct loyalty to the success of this country, that's a serious problem. And I, I think one of the things, again, America First has to be very intentional about is rejecting this corporatism and saying we're not going to actually have any policies that actually promote what I consider globalist corporations that are that are based here in the U.S. but have no loyalty to this country. And I want to see more policy that's actually focused on making small businesses which are made in America, typically U.S. first, which provide almost, well, before COVID, provided almost half the workforce in the private sector. We, we, we've got to understand corporatism is a very real problem inside of the Republican Party. Well, I just consider these Republican corporatists to be the same as Democrats. Like, I just don't. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's Mr. Connell. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think that the, the two-party distinction is as accurate when we're talking about elected uh, officials as, you know, it used to be where there was a different, there was more of an ideological difference. Now, you know, again, you've the McConnells, the McCarthy's, you know, look at Nancy party. Pelosi and the trouble she's in with her husband, right? So Nancy Pelosi's got rich off, you know, I'm not going to say insider trading, but, you know, something that resembles it's insider trading, <laughs> insider trading really a lot. And, you know, her husband it just had to g g divest himself from or sold some stock he was holding. And she's going over to Taiwan where they're making chips and they're passing a bill right now on chip manufacturing. I mean, it's all so filthy. And it's it, and, you know, I don't I don't think McConnell, too, although McConnell married into 
money. Um, you know, a lot of these folks that are elected, they go in, they get a salary, like it's $175,000 a year for a house, a little bit more for Senate, and they're in for five, 10 years, and they leave when they're worth $20 million. How does that well, happen? Well, go back, go both, go back and look at the 1990s, in which that entire decade, senators beat the market by an average of 12%. Warren Buffett in that decade only beat the market by two and a half percent. So you're telling me that somehow our U.S. senators are geniuses on their investments? I don't believe it. I mean, this has been right. going on for decades, and that's how they get it. That That's how they start to build their wealth while in office. The other thing is, too, they, you know, Chuck Schumer has kids working for all these tech companies. There's a lot of different things that have taken place inside of DC. I call it approved corruption, that they're benefiting themselves as they hold power in office to have that information to make good stock trades, but also to leverage other things so that, yeah, when they come out of office, they're worth maybe even potentially tens of millions more than when they first came in. It's it's insane to look at this, and most of the American people do not understand how deep-rooted, but also how just it's approved. The corruption is here in D.C. Can anyone explain this chips bill? Because I have not really been paying attention to it. It's what is it? A fifty two billion dollar essential bailout for. First of all, let me say, in theory, I agree with the premise that we should be doing more chip production domestically. It's a national security issue. Domestic energy production, national security issue. Penicillin production, national security issue. So chip production on shore. Is actually a national security issue, but what they're doing is essentially a 52 to 70 billion, I can't remember the exact figure, uh, bailout to encourage more production on this side, uh, on our shores. Again, uh, in premise, in theory, I don't disagree with it, but you know, like Paul Pelosi has, you know, he, well, he just sold that by the way, but they try, there, some people are trying to make sure that they leverage all of this to, uh, for their benefit. So, Again, I haven't looked into it deeply, but that's kind of the general gist of it is more money to chip producers on this on these shores. It's important to remember that all the chips that are used in the U.S. are made in in Taiwan. We do not make chips. We do not make chips in the United States. So if you're wondering why your phone isn't made in the USA, that they can't you can't get chips. And that's why we have a chip shortage now, because right. we don't just use chips for our phones and our computers. Cars. But all all of our equipment that's used to manufacture anything at every level, cars, I mean, this is a very serious Ned is a hundred percent right. This is a huge national security issue. And because we've got China making rumblings about Taiwan. Yep. Then we're looking at having China, which already has an unusual influence on critical infrastructure here in the United States. Um, to put a fine point they, on they that. would also have control of the chips. I mean, yeah. it, it's a recipe. We should have learned this when the pandemic started and we were scrambling around for really essential things like drugs, none of most none of which are made here in the US and also PPE. And we should have been moving to bring back manufacturing of these essential things. So now we're looking at chips, but I think that that's mostly because China has made overtures about Taiwan after watching this garbage over in the Ukraine, where the US has decided to fight a proxy war with Russia via the Ukraine. And so now China's like, stay away from Taiwan. You just heard that President Xi told uh, Biden on a allegedly two hour phone call. I'm like, did Biden fall asleep? But he told she he told Biden, you don't play with fire. 
So they're not messing around with Taiwan, and we're not going to be able to go it. We're not going to defend Taiwan. I mean, I, I don't even think we can defend Taiwan. Well, <laughs> anyway, but to, to put a final go point on, Ned. Uh, well, I was talking with somebody that was involved in car manufacturing. I think he said most cars, it's 52 chips. This is about a year ago, but, but somewhere in that range, it's dozens of chips go into every new car. Um, so, yeah, you, I mean, just to reinforce the point, it's not about phones. It's not about computers. It's about cars. If that goes away, we, we have serious problems in this country. But this is the one thing that continues to blow my mind. And again, when you're a ruling elite globalist enriching yourselves, you're not really worried about some of these national security issues. This is what Donald Trump needs to do, or if it's whoever the nominee is, if it's DeSantis, I, I tend to think it'll be Trump. When he comes into power is have people really pushing on a whole variety of fronts to make sure that we don't find ourselves in, say, the situation of Germany, who decided to be idiots and go down the path of renewables, 600 billion for decades to now find themselves literally at the yeah. mercy of Russia on their energy uh, front. Which Trump pointed out, right? Remember yeah, Trump when Trump out, they made fun They laughed at him. They laughed at him. The, the thing that's just amazing to me is as we have, you know, this ruling idiocracy right now pushing, you know, renewable energies and electric vehicles, which, by the way, is all funded by fossil fuels. We have decades of empirical evidence out of Germany, considered one of the foremost leading countries in Europe who did this 600 billion to now find themselves in truly a very precarious situation on the energy front. Only fools would pursue a renewable energy plan to try and fund and, and, and fuel a country like ours. And yet they continue to do it. Well, what else before Liz and I have to run off to our Vogue uh, photo shoot? No, I'm, no, I'm staying. Yeah, late. I like that. I'm we're, here we're, for 10 more minutes. We're on the, um, <laughs> I'm not leaving. Uh, Ned will be here for our after show. I'm, I'm here for the day. Like, I will just keep going and talking. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What to discuss? Uh, I mean, we're, we're 13 weeks from the midterms. Uh, we got a lot of important primaries coming up on August 2nd. I, I think the, the, the thing that's going oh, to be yeah. interesting to me on Tuesday, you've got a lot of these impeachment voters, Pete Meyer, Herrera Butler, uh, Newhouse, all on the ballot on uh, August 2nd, of course, in Washington, it's always the top two vote getters, so it'll be on the general. Uh, but I think Pete Meyer could go down in Michigan. And then you've got Liz Cheney. Uh, was it the next week or the or is it two weeks after that? So she's got an August primary as well. She's probably going to go down by 20 plus points to Harry Hageman. Hageman. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see some of these August primaries and then leading into the general you know, what what are Republican gains going to be? And I have to tell you, sitting here in Virginia, in a state that Biden won by 10 points and we win by two the next year, 12 point swing in a year's time. Again, I'm quietly optimistic. It doesn't mean I'm sleeping, you know, that we should rest on our laurels, but pretty optimistic that we'll make gains. And I think a lot of these guys, especially in the Senate, Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, you could yeah, see some real Arizona? American person. Isn't Arizona, Arizona is soon? It's also on August 2nd. So he's he's uh is he up seven points in the recent or eight points in the recent Trafalgar poll. I've been helping out with that. I think the internals show him up by more. So I feel pretty confident Blake will be the Republican nominee. Uh, I think Tudor Dixon in Michigan will be the gubernatorial 
nominee against Gretchen Whitmer. So I, th I think there's going to be some really strong candidates in the fall that uh, are America first, but also really interested in election integrity and making yeah, sure we don't have a rerun of 2020. That's so important. We need to get really good candidates into office you know in these swing states. Yes. You know how many like bills? Like Michigan. Election, election integrity bills in Michigan alone, 39, were passed through the state legislature, in which there are Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer vetoed all 39. Of course. So there, is, there is the potential to actually clean up Michigan if you can have the right governor, Tudor Dixon, signing those bills into law. You could have a real shot at election reform. And that's why Mastriano in Pennsylvania, despite some people saying, oh, I can't win in Pennsylvania. In a year like 2022, I think he can absolutely win in Pennsylvania. I mean, so the, there are these gubernatorial races that people should be paying attention to because you win 2024 by winning in 2022 with yeah. the right people. And then you'll have two legislative sessions, 2023, 2024, before the presidential to actually get legitimate election reform accomplished. So be, be, keeping an eye on these gubernatorial races, I think is something that people, everybody's going to talk House and Senate, but keep an eye on the gubernatorials. Yeah, that's that's almost more important in a lot of ways, as you can see the difference Ron DeSantis has made, has made in Florida. That's exactly. so critical to have just a state executive. Plus, we need more options of where to move and flee from our occupied. <laughs> Although I'm in Virginia, like you, Ned. So, um, uh, yeah. So, again, yeah, it, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we are done for today. So thank I you, Ned. I didn't say Ned. I was done. <laughs> Ned is never so, leaving. So we're joking because I texted Ned right before we started recording and I was like, hey, can you jump on the podcast? He's like, yeah, sure. So then when we all got together before we started recording, we told Ned it would be an hour and um, he was he's like, oh, that's not what I heard, but joking. Failure in disclosing commitment. <laughs> but of course, I always want to be, you know, like, Let's, I'll, I'm on. And they're like, well, it's going to be an hour. I said, oh, oh, I didn't know that. And they're like, well, you don't have to stay the whole hour. I'm like, no, I'm staying. I'm staying for at least 59 minutes. Maybe I'll stay for 61. You're not kicking me off. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. Well, thank you, Ned, because this was, uh, we covered a lot of ground and uh, we're happy you could jump on with us. Absolutely. Tell our Enjoy listeners, it. where can they find you? Where can they find your books? Uh, Twitter, Ned Ryan, N-E-D-R-Y-U-N. I have a lot of fun on Twitter. Uh, American Majority is the organization I run. It's AmericanMajority.org. Uh, and then I've got a couple books, Restoring Our Republic and the Adversaries. You can find them at Amazon. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. I don't, we're not going to be here next week because I'm out of town. I just told Julie right now when I'm going to be out of town. So we will not be here next week, but we will be back the following week. And if you haven't subscribed, go to iTunes, subscribe. Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.